Hey everyone, this is Joy Keller, Ideas Executive Editor, and I'm super excited to welcome you to Ideas Listen and Learn CEC Podcast. It's the fitness industry's first and only audible CEC program. Now we know how busy you are, so we wanted to provide a handy way to help you listen, learn, and earn credits toward your certification renewal. Research has shown that physical activity increases comprehension. So whether you're out for a run, working out, or just doing the dishes, now you can cement your learning through this convenient option. So thank you for joining us. This episode contains information that has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 approval agencies, including ACE, NASM, AFA, ACSM, NSCA, and NFPT. In order to claim your CEC, you will need to pass a short quiz, which is available for purchase in the Idea Store. Look for the link to the quiz in the show notes. In this episode, I will read you 10 articles from our Headlines News section and 15 from our Food for Thought News section. That's 25 articles in all. This collection of evidence-based news stories will bring you up to date on fitness trends, exercise research, and the dynamic fields of diet, food, nutrition, and behavior change science. First, I will read 10 articles from our headline section that were researched by our colleague and award-winning contributing editor, Shirley Archer. These were originally published in the May-June issue of Fitness Journal in the headline section. In addition to the link in the show notes, The articles in the quiz can also be found at ideafit.com under the Articles tab. Let's get started. May-June Headlines, Fitness Journal by Shirley Archer, JDMA. Article 1. Higher fitness levels predict lower severity of COVID-19. Study finds that those with higher aerobic fitness levels better tolerated COVID-19 infection. Higher levels of cardiorespiratory fitness are related to a lower risk of hospitalization for those who get COVID-19, according to a study reported in Mayo Clinic Proceedings. This is one more reason to take that walk or get on the exercise bike, says lead researcher Clinton Brauner, Ph.D., clinical exercise physiologist at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. It adds to the current understanding that exercise and good fitness levels are related to a lower risk of upper respiratory tract infections like COVID-19 and suggests that people may generally tolerate this infection better if they are more fit. Researchers collected data for more than 18,000 patients and conducted tests for COVID-19 on 1,181. 21% of those tested were positive for the virus and 36% of those infected were hospitalized. Investigators then compared fitness data on those who were hospitalized and those who were not. Our data suggests that striving to achieve a peak fitness level of at least 7.5 METs, equivalent to slow jogging, might be a good goal for our patients in general population to achieve a lower risk of hospitalization due to COVID-19, says study author Jonathan Ehrman, Ph.D., Associate Program Director of Preventive Cardiology at Henry Ford Hospital. Article 2. Physical Activity Boosted Brain Fitness During Pandemic. Study shows those who were active experienced less decline in memory. 
More good news to share with clients about reasons to keep training. People who stayed or became active during pandemic lockdowns experienced less likelihood of subjective memory decline, according to a study published in Preventive Medicine. Lockdowns reduced the spread of COVID-19, but had unintended adverse effects on mental health. Some individuals suffered from social isolation and loneliness that led to less physical activity, more depression and anxiety, stress, sleep disorders, self-harm, and even subjective memory impairment. Researchers from Brazil and Australia conducted a study to identify the effect of physical activity on subjective memory decline during social distancing. Investigators collected self-reported data from 2,314 male and female subjects with a mean age of 38 years at two separate points, before and during social distancing. Data analysis showed that young adults and women reported a higher prevalence of subjective memory decline, and one in three participants experienced feelings of memory decline during social distancing. Physical activity clearly reduced the risk of memory decline. Other research demonstrates neuroprotective effects of exercise. Study authors note that physical activity is a powerful non-pharmacological strategy to reduce the risk of depression and anxiety during the COVID-19 pandemic. Article 3. Are you ready for smart workout clothes? Wearable sensors in your sportswear may soon offer real-time data. Another research breakthrough increases the likelihood that, in the near future, sensors embedded in athletic wear will provide valuable performance data. Soon, organic thin-film transistors may be embedded in athletic apparel for real-time data collection, according to Canadian researchers at the University of Saskatchewan and University of Ottawa. What that means is that coaches may be able to monitor hydration levels and other metabolic data from athletes during training through analysis of sweat as a result of applying this emerging technology. Senior investigator Benoit Lessard, Ph.D., associate professor at University of Ottawa, says, The applications are sort of anything you can dream of. The goal is to create a startup company and then pursue further development options. The research is published in ACS Applied Materials. Article 4. Muscle Cells May Combat Chronic Inflammation Early research reveals potential underlying mechanisms for anti-inflammatory properties of muscle. The answer for why regular exercise is important to reducing systemic inflammation and promoting a healthy immune system may soon come into focus and offer insight into how much and what type of exercise may counteract chronic inflammation. Numerous studies show that exercise can have an anti-inflammatory effect. Pioneering research by Duke University researchers in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, reveals potential underlying mechanisms to answer the question of why. According to research findings reported in Science Advances, muscles that experience exercise appear to have an innate ability to reduce inflammation. Duke University scientists conducted the study with lab-grown, engineered human muscle. Investigators examined the role, in particular, of a pro-inflammatory molecule, interferon gamma, that has been associated with muscle wasting and dysfunction. We know that chronic inflammatory diseases include muscle atrophy, 
but we wanted to see if the same thing would happen to our engineered human muscles grown in a petri dish, say lead study authors. Not only did we confirm that interferon gamma, a pro-inflammatory, primarily works through a specific signaling pathway, we showed that exercising muscle cells can directly counter this pro-inflammatory signaling independent of the presence of other cell types or tissues. When exercising, the muscle cells themselves were directly opposing the pro-inflammatory signal induced by interferon gamma, which we did not expect to happen, says senior investigator Nanad Ursak, Ph.D., professor of biomedical engineering at Duke University. There are notions out there that optimal levels in regimes of exercise could fight chronic inflammation while not overstressing the cells. Maybe with our engineered muscle, we can help find out if such notions are true. Article 5. Vibration training improved muscle strength in stroke survivors. Study shows improvement in leg muscle strength and bone retention. Fitness professionals that incorporate vibration training into their programs will be interested to learn that new research substantiates its value for those coping with stroke. Increasing muscle strength and preserving bone density are important priorities for stroke survivors. Chinese researchers from Hong Kong Polytechnic University conducted a study with 84 male and female stroke survivors between the ages of 53 and 65 years. Participants trained with whole body vibration three times a week for eight weeks at either 20 hertz or 30 hertz. Data analysis showed that both protocols improved muscle strength and bone retention. However, the 30 hertz protocol was more effective. The study is available in scientific reports. Article 6, Psoriasis and Fitness Connection. Those with lowest levels of fitness were most likely to get psoriasis. A large-scale study reveals a clear association between fitness levels and the risks of developing psoriasis. In a register-based study of over 1.2 million men, young men with the lowest fitness levels had a 35% higher risk of developing psoriasis than those with the highest fitness levels. Psoriasis is a chronic, systemic inflammatory disease that, in the case of plaque psoriasis, can cause reddened, flaking, and itchy skin lesions. Causes for psoriasis are not entirely known, but hereditary is believed to play a role. Lead study author Marta Laskowski, PhD candidate, University of Gothenburg says, low fitness was already known to boost the risk of incurring cardiovascular disease, and psoriasis as such is linked to raised cardiovascular disease risk too. The results from our study confirm the reasons for assessing people's fitness early in life to identify individuals at a higher risk for adverse health outcomes later in life. Swedish researchers from University of Gothenburg conducted the study using a database of more than 1.2 million men that were conscripted at age 18 into the Swedish Armed Forces between 1968 and 2005. Investigators collected fitness data. This information was merged with data from other patient registers in Sweden's National Patient Register to determine the incidence of psoriasis. Investigators excluded men with psoriasis at the time of conscription. The research is published 
in PLOS One. Article 7. Low-impact aerobic exercise can help expectant moms. Exercise can improve sleep quality and maternal attachment to the unborn baby during pregnancy. Pregnant women often experience difficulty with sleep. New findings show that non-supervised low-impact aerobics done by pregnant women in the second trimester at least three times per week can help improve sleep and maternal attachment to the unborn child. Researchers from the National Ching Kung University Hospital in Taiwan conducted the randomized control trial with 140 pregnant women. Investigators assigned women to either a control group of routine prenatal care or an exercise group that received a 20-minute low-impact aerobic exercise video and was advised to do it at least three times per week for three months. Investigators collected data at four weeks, at study end, at 12 weeks, and four weeks after study conclusion. Data analysis showed that women in the exercise group experienced better sleep quality at all points at which data was collected and had significantly higher score for maternal fetal attachment at four weeks post-test. Study authors recommend that pregnant women be encouraged to regularly perform low-impact aerobic exercise. The study is reported in Complementary Therapies in Medicine. Article 8. Sleep, Exercise, and Raw Fruits and Veggies. New research identifies three pillars of mental health for young adults. Eat your fruits and vegetables, exercise, and get a good night's sleep. It sounds like advice from your mother, but recent research findings identify these three healthy behaviors predict mental health and well-being among young adults. University of Otago researchers in New Zealand conducted the cross-sectional survey study among 1,111 male and female adults between the ages of 18 and 25. Participants completed an online survey reporting diet, sleep, physical activity, and other relevant information, as well as depressive symptoms and feelings of well-being. Data analysis showed that sleep quality was the strongest predictor of well-being, followed by sleep quantity and physical activity. Consumption of raw fruits and vegetables was the only dietary factor predictive of greater well-being. The study is available in Frontiers in Psychology. Article 9. Clumsy kids can be as fit as coordinated kids. Aerobic fitness is not linked with motor skills among children. Are you a fitness professional who was also clumsy as a child? Well, it turns out that while fit kids often have well-developed motor skills, kids who are less coordinated can be equally aerobically fit. Our study clearly demonstrated that aerobic fitness is not linked to motor skills when body composition is properly taken into account, says lead study author Aero A. Hapala, Ph.D., Faculty of Sport and Health Sciences at the University in Finland. The key message of our study is that even a child who is unfit can be motorically adept, and the heart of a clumsier kid can be as fit as her or his more skillful peer. Researchers examined data from 332 children between the ages of 7 to 11 years. The study is reported in Translational Sports Medicine. Article 10. Breathing Exercises in Programs. GWI Trend Report notes growing interest in breathing practices. Yoga professionals are familiar with breathing practices, known as pranayama, 
But breathing programs and breathwork practices in general, like meditation, are entering the mainstream. The Global Wellness Institute has named breathwork as one of the top seven trends to impact wellness in 2021 and beyond. Recent New York Times best-selling book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor, supports the current popular interest in understanding the power of breathing to affect well-being. Breathwork programming exists at leading global resorts like the Six Senses and the Chablais Hotels. Jasmine Marie created Black Girls Breathing, a program that offers meditational breathwork in a safe space for black women to actively nurture their mental, emotional, and spiritual health, deepening our inhales, lessening our stresses. Apps and wearables support the growing trend. And the impact of COVID-19 on breathing issues in the lungs has drawn more attention to the therapeutic and wellness benefits of breathwork. That concludes the readings for headlines. Many thanks to author and contributing editor Shirley Archer for her research and writing. Next up, I will read 15 articles from our Food for Thought news section that were researched by our colleague, Matthew Cady, a registered dietitian and cookbook author, who also is a James Beard award-winning journalist. These articles were originally published in the May-June issue of Fitness Journal. In addition to the link in the show notes, the articles and the quiz can also be found at ideafit.com under the Articles tab. Article 1. Pop culture is a diet flop. B for bad. Movies get two thumbs down for flaunting unhealthy food. The film industry didn't get the memo about the importance of promoting healthy eating habits. Researchers from Stanford University recently armed themselves with popcorn and watched the top-grossing movies from 1994 to 2018, including Avatar, Iron Man, Black Panther, and Titanic, to quantify the foods and beverages shown on screen and see how well they aligned with U.S. government nutrition recommendations for a healthy diet. Their study, published in the JAMA Internal Medicine, shows that on-screen diets largely failed federal recommendations for saturated fat, fiber, and sodium. Also in the script were many cocktails and lots of food with frequent instances of consuming foods with high sugar combined with alcohol. Nutrient-poor snacks and sweets showed up on screen most frequently, but the most commonly featured foods, and about 40% of beverages in these movies, were alcohol. In the analysis, water showed up on screen only slightly more than sweetened beverages. While Hollywood could depict healthier food and beverage consumption, the reality is that movies show unhealthy foods as being stereotypical and cool to eat, which reinforces what is normative in real life. After all, if our favorite planet-saving superheroes aren't eating salads, why should we? Article 2. A Call for Caution. Warning Labels May Cut Sugar-Sweetened Drink Purchases. An analysis of 23 studies published in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine found that using health effects and other warning labels on sugar-sweetened beverages, a category that includes soda, sports drinks, and fruit-flavored drinks, was generally linked to notable reductions in purchases of those drinks. That's important news considering that research hailing from the University of San Diego, California, found women who consumed one or more sugar-sweetened beverages per day had an almost 20% higher risk 
of cardiovascular disease compared with women who abstained or rarely consumed the drinks. Up next, studying the best ways to design warnings to maximize their impact and, of course, convincing the appropriate regulatory bodies that these graphics should be universally implemented, as was the case with cigarettes. Article 3. The Diet Shuffle Red meat can certainly fit into a well-balanced diet, but eating it every day, especially if you're choosing processed options like sausages, bacon, and hot dogs, can increase the chances for poor health, including heart disease. Luckily, people can lower that risk by simply swapping out some of the red meat in their diets for plant-based protein foods. That's according to a study published by Harvard University researchers in the British Medical Journal. Based on data for more than 43,000 men with an average age of 53 from the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study, researchers found that the risk for heart disease increased by 12% over a 30-year time frame when consuming one serving of either processed or unprocessed red meat a day, and rose to 15% for a daily serving of processed red meat. On the other hand, the risk for heart problems fell by 14% with eating less red meat in favor of high-quality plant proteins like beans, nuts, and soy. This risk was lower still, 18%, among men over the age of 65. The research also found that substituting red meat for whole grains and dairy products, including yogurt and milk, and replacing processed red meat with eggs might also lessen the risk. Replacing red meat with total fish was not associated with CHD risk, but this could be the result of cooking methods, such as deep frying, and the fact that the questionnaire for this food group also included processed fish products like fish sticks. The benefits from these substitutions are likely multifaceted, including decreasing saturated fats and increasing unsaturated fat, fiber, and antioxidants in the diet. The study authors believe eating red meat a couple of times per week and making these substitutions on the other days would go a long way in keeping the ticker strong. Article 4. Morning Glory. Less processed forms of oats are on a roll. Every day, millions of Americans spoon up oatmeal for breakfast. But it might be a smart move if we don't go for instant satisfaction. In a research review involving previously published randomized controlled trials comparing the post-meal blood glucose and insulin responses to oats compared with refined grains, a team of American and Canadian investigators determined that both intact oat kernels, such as steel-cut oats, and thick-cut oats typically result in a slower rise in blood glucose and insulin after consumption than when refined grains are consumed. Over time, this metabolic benefit may reduce the risk for diabetes and perhaps even unwanted weight gain. Though classified as whole grain, eating quick cook and instant oats did not fare well as they were found to bring about a similar blood sugar response as refined grains our bodies must work harder to break down lesser processed forms of oats, which may help flatten the blood sugar curve. Article 5. An Inconvenient Truth Nearby Convenience Stores Tied to Higher Body Weight in Children A study in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics found that 3- to 15-year-old children whose urban homes were located within a mile 
of an additional convenience store that sold predominantly unhealthy foods for 24 months had an 11.7% increased risk of having a higher body mass index compared with other children. On the other hand, there was a 37.3% lower risk of being in a higher BMI range for children whose homes were located within close proximity of a small grocery store selling an assortment of healthy food items. No consistent patterns were found for changes in exposure to supermarkets, restaurants, or pharmacies. Childhood obesity has a multifaceted ideology, and changes in the community food environment is one thing that can impact weight status over time. In this case, improving the healthfulness of food offered at convenience stores in dense urban areas to levels similar to that of small grocery stores may have the potential to improve weight status in younger generations. Article 6, Word of the Day. P-R-K-A-R-2-A. No more constant cravings? National Institutes of Health researchers recently discovered PRKR2A, a gene in mice that controls the craving for sugary and fatty foods and the urge to exercise. The gene is highly expressed in the habanula, a tiny brain region involved in responses to pain, stress, and reward. PRKR2A negative mice ate less high-fat food and sugar solution than their counterparts with the active gene. The rodents without the functioning gene also exercised for fewer minutes during a run test. Next up is to determine what role this gene may play in human food and exercise choices and, in turn, obesity. Article 7. Hungry for Sugar a study on appetite shows not all sugars are created equal. The sweetness in our diets comes in many different forms and how we get our sweet fix matters. The type of sweet stuff we choose may impact how hungry we feel and, in turn, our risk for metabolic conditions and weight gain. Men and women who sip drinks sweetened with sucrose produce lower amounts of hunger-suppressing hormones, such as peptide YY, compared to when they consume drinks spiked with glucose, which is naturally occurring sweetness. This is according to report in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. The findings, based on data from 69 adults aged 18 to 35, also revealed that participants with obesity and less insulin sensitivity had a lower increase in hunger-suppressing hormones after consuming a sweet beverage. That may be another reason why it's so hard for overweight people to lose weight and keep it off. Sucrose is made up of equal parts glucose and fructose and is often pumped into processed foods like soda, candy, and cereal. Glucose occurs naturally in carbohydrate-containing foods like honey and fresh and dried fruits. Article 8. The Supplement Spillover Athletes using sports supplements may have more relaxed attitudes about doping. From 40 to 100% of athletes use sports supplements such as creatine and certain stimulants, depending on the sport of choice and level of competition. Now, a study in the Journal of Science and Medicine and Sport suggests that athletes who turn to legal performance-enhancing supplements can have more favorable attitudes towards illegal doping than non-users. 
The researchers used data from 557 athletes involved in team and individual sports who completed a sports supplement beliefs scale. What's important to note is that it is not the protein powder and other supplements themselves that lead to more positive attitudes to doping, but the underlying reason for their use, the view that they are necessary to bolster performance. This belief over time can bring about an attitude that using banned substances is an acceptable and appropriate method in which to also improve performance. Tailored anti-doping education in athletes could help prevent the spillover from what can be purchased at a GNC to what is acquired by more shady means. Article 9. Breast Milk Advantages Breastfeeding longer than six months may protect against childhood obesity. Breastfeeding has long been considered to play a vital role in improving child development, and now we have evidence that it may also keep infants in a healthy weight range. A study in obesity followed 542 children until five years of age, found those who were breastfed for six months or longer following birth had lower mean body mass index scores at ages 3 to 60 months compared with those who breastfed for less than six months. These findings provide further support for infant feeding guidelines to promote breastfeeding of at least six months in duration. But breastfeeding's moms should be encouraged to go easy on sweet drinks and added sugars during this crucial feeding time. Using the Bailey 3 Scales of Infant Development, Researchers from the Children's Hospital Los Angeles discovered that mothers who consumed large amounts of sugar-sweetened drinks and fruit juices during the first month of breastfeeding had children who showed poorer cognitive development scores at the age of two. When high amounts of simple sugars such as fructose are consumed by lactating women, these can be passed to their infants during breastfeeding, which may hamper the child's brain development. Article 10. Fiber on the Mind. The link between fiber and mood may come down to your gut. From heart disease to cancer to obesity, a high-fiber diet has been linked to a range of health benefits. And now we can add lower rates of depression to the list, at least if the correct gut bacteria are hanging around. A study published in the journal Menopause, involving more than 5,800 women of various ages, showed that premenopausal women with higher intakes of dietary fiber were less likely to experience depression compared with premenopausal women with lower fiber intake. The same association was not found among postmenopausal women. The researchers theorized this may be due to estrogen levels impacting the balance of gut microorganisms present in premenopausal and postmenopausal women. The link between dietary fiber and mental health in women, and likely men as well, might be partially explained by gut-brain interactions, positive changes in gut microbiota composition brought on by higher fiber consumption could positively affect neurotransmission. Future research will need to determine if indeed estrogen depletion during menopause impacts the microbiome in a way that makes it less responsive to dietary changes, such as eating more fiber, and ways that this can be ameliorated. Article 11. Pigs, Protein, and Plasma. Pig's blood is being turned into protein powder. 
First, we had burgers made from cell-cultured meat and now protein powder gleaned from swine blood. As reported in the Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry, food scientists have devised a way to produce a flavorless protein powder from pig's blood, a byproduct of pork meat production, using enzymes from papaya fruit and a soil bacterium. At present, 5,000 metric tons of pure protein powder can be extracted from 60,000 tons of blood. The hope is that this could be used in the food supply to help meet the protein needs of a growing global population and perhaps an easy way to help seniors take in more protein to help stave off frailty. But as we have witnessed with cricket protein, we are likely a long way off from widespread acceptance of cereal spiked with pig's blood protein. So for the time being, most people will prefer getting our protein from pork chops. Article 12. Hear this. We need vitamin D. Don't let vitamin deficiency fall on deaf ears. It's loud and clear. Achieving adequate vitamin D status appears to be a key part of staving off hearing loss as we age, according to investigators from the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York. Using data from 1,123 participants aged 70, the team found that older individuals with lower levels of total 25-hydroxyvitamin D, the major form of circulating vitamin D in the body and a good indicator of the status of the nutrient, were more likely to suffer from some form of hearing loss than those with higher vitamin D levels. Calcium status was not found to be associated with hearing aptitude. Perhaps the role vitamin D plays in bone mineral density makes it important in maintaining the mechanical sense of hearing through the decades. Article 13, Question of the Month. Is nutrition research too cozy with industry? How do you know which studies to trust? Fitness Journal relies heavily on the latest nutrition research for our reporting, but we understand that this type of research is constantly evolving and some of the results might be swayed by who is writing the checks. A paper published in PLOS One reports that of the more than 1,400 studies analyzed in many of the top nutrition science journals in 2018, about 30% of them had connections to the food industry, and of those, more than 55% reported findings favorable to business interests. Fewer than 10% of articles without industry involvement did so. This appears to be the first study to comprehensively address the extent of industry involvement in leading nutrition science journals. For instance, the industry may manipulate research by influencing what research questions are asked and how a study is designed. Still, that leaves 87% of studies without a direct industry link, so their influence is hardly universal. And many food scientists will say that industry funding for nutrition research is necessary because it's expensive to conduct and government support is falling behind. Were you aware that the food and beverage industry was playing a role in the direction of some nutrition research? Do you still have confidence in nutrition research and believe it can help steer us toward the optimal way to eat? Is it necessary to make it more transparent who is funding research? Should journals be scrutinizing industry-funded research to a greater degree or even stepping away from publishing it? We'd love to hear from you. Send your answers to Sandy Todd Webster at swebster at outsideinc.com. Article 14. 
Communication breakdown. For some people, beta-carotene doesn't lead to a surge of vitamin A. Beta-carotene is a pigment found in certain fruits and vegetables, dark leafy greens and sweet potatoes being particularly rich sources. Our bodies can convert the beta-carotene we consume into vitamin A, a nutrient that plays a role in immune and bone health. Vitamin A also helps with heart functioning via its impact on improving cholesterol levels. But new research out of the University of Illinois suggests that some people have a less active form of the enzyme beta-carotene oxygenase that is involved in this conversion and therefore may produce less vitamin A. This lackluster conversion may result in a greater risk for heart disease and perhaps some other health concerns. To compensate, these people may need to eat more foods rich in beta-carotene as well as foods like milk and liver that contain formed vitamin A. In the future, personalized nutrition programs may test for variants of enzymes like this to better assess individual nutritional needs. Article 15, Recipe for Health, Pasta Bowls. It often gets hammered in low-carb diets, but here is news that will keep some people happily slurping up a bowl of spaghetti. Research published in Frontiers in Nutrition revealed that noodle consumption in both children and adults is associated with better diet quality and higher intakes of some key nutrients, including folate, magnesium, and fiber, compared when no pasta is eaten. In contrast to what many believe, consistent pasta consumption was not associated with weight gain in male adults and children, and, in fact, in adult females, was associated with reduced waist circumference. No differences were seen in total daily calories and sodium intake. Of course, you'll get more out of your pasta habit if it's made with whole grains and not drowned in a creamy sauce. Here, the shaped noodles are a delicious delivery system in place of rice for fiber-rich beans and other nutritional winners. If you'd like to read this recipe, please see the May-June issue of Fitness Journal. That marks the end of the reading for Food for Thought. Many thanks to registered dietitian and subject matter expert Matthew Cady for his research and excellent writing of Food for Thought, our popular food and nutrition news section. This concludes the education in this episode of the Idea, Listen, and Learn CEC podcast. I'm so happy you joined me for this episode. I appreciate your attention and your dedication to being the best professional you can be. Quick reminder that this education has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. In order to claim the CEC, you will need to pass a short quiz which is available for purchase in the IDEA store. The link is in the show notes. Stay tuned! We have more exciting content that has been approved for CECs coming soon. I'm Joy Keller. Thank you and have a wonderful day.